For the ones who know safety isn't a catchphrase, it's a culture. And the ones who help make sure everyone makes it home safe. For the safety-minded who watch everyone's backs, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as safety assessments and training to keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. The Leslie Marshall Show, a true democracy in talk radio. Of, for, and by you, the people. Live from our nation's capital, it's Deadline D.C. with Brad Bannon. Welcome to Deadline D.C. with Brad Bannon. I'm Brad Bannon, and if some of you wondering why my hair is so short, I've been fully vaccinated, and I've ventured to to get my hair cut for the first time in a few months, so that's a sign of progress. Uh, I'm a Democratic strategist, a columnist for The Hill in Washington, D.C., and a news analyst for news radio stations KNX in Los Angeles and WGN in Chicago. If you want to learn more about me and my political polling company, if you have any suggestions or thoughts about Deadline D.C., my Twitter handle is at Brad Bannon. Uh, my company, Bannon Communications Research, polls for progressive issue groups, labor unions, and Democrats. BannonCR.com is the sponsor of today's show. Last week was a big week for Joe Biden uh, initiatives. Uh, Sarah Jones of Politicus USA, Morgan Starr of Our Blue Future, and progressive activist Mark Grimaldi join, me, join us today to discuss Joe Biden's busy week. Hi, thanks so much for having me back. Uh, it's always a pleasure to have you on. Uh, that is Sarah Jones, who is the editor-in-chief of Politicus USA. Uh, she uh, has been featured on many national radio, television, and print outlets, including the Washington uh, including the Washington uh, Post, The Atlantic, uh, CNN, and several others. Uh, the website for Politicus is Politicus USA. That's P-O-L-I-T-I-C-U-S USA. Uh, their Twitter handle is Politicus uh, at Politicus USA. Sarah's handle is at Politic- Politicus Sarah. Uh, let's start with uh, this. Uh, Joe Biden had a very busy week last week. He was out there uh, campaigning for his Build Back Better uh, investment program. Uh, he announced uh, the creation of a, a commission to study expanding the Supreme Court. And probably most importantly, he uh, launched, uh, issued executive orders to combat gun violence. He also called for a ban on assault weapons, which I think is very noticeable. Uh, 
despite the president uh, being very busy at his job, some Republicans are complaining and wondering who's really in charge in the White House. They complain we don't uh, hear much from the president and what we, they do here is kind of can. But to me, last week, uh, he was all out there. Uh, he didn't issue any mad uh, tweets uh, complaining about windmills that cause cancer. Uh, but uh, he was out there aggressively dealing with the nation's big problems. So what's wrong with the Republicans, uh, one in particular, Senator John uh, Cornyn from Texas? Well, right. So this morning he tweeted, the president's not doing cable news interviews. Tweets from his accounts are limited. And when they come, unimaginably conventional. The public comments are largely scripted. Biden has opted for fewer sit-down interviews with mainstream outlets and reporters. So it looks on its surface as though he thinks that when a president is in charge, they're on Twitter or doing media interviews, um, on Twitter inciting some violence at the Capitol or making fun of people, using the bully pulpit to insult people. That's seems what they have come down to at this point. They're, they're, I, I can't imagine that they can get lower, but then every day they seem to show that their expectations of a president aren't what we have come you know, to be familiar with. And it's kind of weird to hear him say that Biden is conventional when conservatives are supposed to be standing for traditionalism and conventional behavior. And now they want this crazy, erratic, populist, uh, violence, violent, violence insider. I think that's the best way I can put that. And I will say, though, that um, the White House press secretary, Jen Psaki, who's doing such an incredible job, she responded when asked about his tweet today, I can confirm that the president of the United States does not spend his time tweeting conspiracy theories. He spends his time working for the American people. Well, you know, I'm reminded uh, I have uh, a friend, a reporter, and uh, he told me, uh, I think uh, he told me this in the first year of Trump's presidency, he had to adjust his working habits so he could be awake at three o'clock in the morning because uh, he covered the White House. So uh, he said uh, he had to be awake at three o'clock in the morning so he could uh, cover a report on uh, the president's usual, uh, you know, tweet uh, during the early hours around three o'clock. And, you know, that leads me to believe, do you think the media has got used to that? They're starved uh, for crazy Twitter rants. And I think you're right. I think Joe Biden has gone back to a traditional model of president where they uh, only speak, and I use speak in a generic sense, when they have something to say, like issue a gun control plan or issue a plan for helping the nation recover from the pandemic or to revitalize the economy. Uh, do you think the media, is, I mean, I've noticed that a lot of the major media are complaining that their uh, ratings are down. Uh, do you think everybody's starved for, you know, a, um, a Trump-like Twitter rage every 24 hours or so? I do, actually, and I think it's a real problem because it's why the media just won't quit Trump. 
and he did make them a lot of money as an institution and i think many people many institutions catered to that of course because the news now has to make a profit it didn't used to always be like this but it is now and that's the big problem he was basically this uh, erratic reality star that d didn't know what he was doing and i would say a d-list star but nonetheless um he created drama and chaos every day as cover for sort of the theft that he and his family and his his inner circle were doing from the government uh, or using the government to accomplish in other ways. And so I do think that they're starved for that kind of thing. And I also think as a reporter, so that's about the institutions. I'm not criticizing individual reporters who um, I know from my own experience with Trump. I mean, it is, I'm not recovered yet from covering him for four years. It was really five years during the election. And America but, isn't uh, covered, uh, recovered exactly. from governed by him. Exactly. I mean, everyone has what I wrote an article as soon as he got elected about post-traumatic Trump syndrome. And I think that we are all still dealing with that. And it's going to be a long time where we, where we don't feel safe. We are always jumpy. Um, it is a form of PTSD. I mean, literally, he had our national security in his hands. We did not know what he was telling our enemies. He seemed to be sharing secrets with them. So, you know, and then COVID came along and it became our, our threat. The threat to the people became escalated even higher. And so uh, one of the issues that I have with what the media has been doing with Trump is that you see he got banned off of all of these social media platforms because he incited violence with his tweets. And then some reporters are still taking the statements that he sends out and they're tweeting it. Well, why are you doing that when, you know, these platforms have determined and it wasn't an easy decision for them, my goodness, they waited until the very last minute to ban him. And so they, you know, they have banned him finally. But now these people got, have just got to bring his message to people. I don't think he should be being covered unless it's something that's being fact-checked or it's something that he has done that reflects upon the Republican Party as it is today. Or he's yeah. going to jail. Yeah, that would be that would help. Um, yeah. I don't know what kind of privileges federal prisoners have when it comes to social media, but maybe we should find out. Uh, okay, our guest in this half hour is Sarah Jones, editor-in-chief of Politicus USA. Uh, Joe Biden had a busy week uh, last week, despite what some Republican critics said. Uh, and, you know, part of the problem is, I think, the, you know, the problem for some people is that Joe Biden is, is uh, speaking on substantive policy issues, uh, rather than, you know, rants about God knows what, uh, immigrants or whatever. Anyway, we're going to break now, but when we get back from break, we will have more of Sarah Jones from Politicus USA uh, to talk more about Biden uh, initiatives and the media coverage of Joe Biden and the former guy. We'll be back right after these messages with more of Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. Welcome back to Deadline DC with Brad Bannon, and uh, welcome back to our radio listeners. Uh, we've been talking to Sarah Jones of Politicus USA 
if you would like to uh, watch Deadline DC as well as uh, listen to it, uh, you can join us on Periscope TV at www.periscope.tv front slash Brad Bannon on Facebook Live at tinyurl.com front slash BB Facebook Live or on YouTube at uh, tinyurl.com front slash Brad on YouTube. Our guest is Sarah Jones from Politicus USA. Let's start with another topic. One of the many things that uh, the 46th president did last week was the administration released a budget proposal. Uh, And in that budget proposal, uh, I believe it had uh, an 8% increase in domestic spending uh, which I think was notable, noticeable, uh, noto- uh, noteworthy after the Trump administration has been trying to cut the domestic spending budget. Uh, it also had a, an increase in defense spending of close to 2%. Uh, now, the good news is that the uh, spending for domestic programs in the proposed Biden budget uh, was much higher than the uh, increase in defense spending. Uh, but some Demo- uh, some progressive Democrats have complained uh, they were hoping for a cut, maybe even a 10 percent cut in the Pentagon budget uh, so that the country could uh, uh, face its uh, you know domestic difficulties, which we have many. We have a pandemic. Uh, we have a, uh, you know, a f- slow economy economic growth. Uh, what's your sense? What's your sense of the uh, Biden budget proposal? Well, I, I agree with um, a lot of what you just said, everything you just said. The, you know, I think liberals can find a lot to like because he made a bold swing from austerity. And we've been waiting for that for a very long time. That doesn't mean this budget's going to get passed. This is for next year. It has to go through all kinds of stuff. So it just showed, it shows where his priorities are. And I really liked uh, how bold he's being and that he's not afraid of being labeled a liberal big spender, which he's already, you know, they're already attacking him with that. And he just isn't even biting at it. He said, you know, we have uh, chronic underinvestment that's been going on for decades on top of the enormous economic and health crisis of COVID-19, and it's going to take money to repair that. Why we need money going into, you know, uh, communities of color, rural communities, the economy in general, and how do you do that with jobs, with all the things that he's already talking about. But I think that this budget by swinging away from austerity really just it's a welcome i mean we haven't seen this kind of bold i will spend money to solve these problems i will use the government to as it's intended to solve these problems for the people we haven't seen this in a long time um yeah his discretionary spending i think is 1.52 trillion so you know, that's a 15.7% increase in domestic spending. I think that the, you know, he's already been criticized, by the way, for that Pentagon very modest increase mm-hmm. um, by Republicans and by uh, progressives. But Republicans are pretending that there's no increase at all by calling it a virtual cut. It's not a cut at all, but they're calling it a virtual cut. It's in, It's basically in keeping with 
uh, inflation. That's basically what it is. And I think that he has some concerns about national security is probably why he did that. But I, I can't read his mind. I don't know for sure why he did. Of course, he has to get all this, you know, he has to get some Republicans on board. So I don't know if he did that for that reason, but we all know that that wouldn't have been very smart because they're going to take whatever's offered and then pretend it was nothing and and negotiate away until they blow up the entire government. So, yeah. well, I think it's worth pointing out, as uh, some people already have, that the United States currently spends uh, on national defense uh, more money than the next ten countries combined. Uh, and you know, I I think if you look at you know, I think. Russia and China are number two and three, uh, but they're way behind the United States. And some of those countries in the top 10 are U.S. allies like uh, uh, Great Britain, France, uh, Saudi Arabia. Uh, so I don't think he can make a very good case, a very solid case that the U.S. military is being starved. Um, also, it seems to me the U.S. military has had its share of fair share of costly blunders. The most prominent would be the F-35 fighter, uh, which uh, the United States Department of Defense has spent trillions of dollars on, and it turned has turned out to be a complete bust. Um, there's been a lot of complaint about, uh, you know, wasteful domestic spending, but my guess is there's a lot more waste in the Defense Department budget than there is in the domestic spending budget, even though Republicans fail to acknowledge it. Uh, the other thing that the new president, um, as opposed to the former guy, did last week is he uh, appointed a commission to study the expansion of the Supreme Court. Uh, what do you think about? Do you think the size of the Supreme Court should be expanded, Sarah? Well, I'm going to be honest with you, Brad. I think that those three people uh, nominated by Donald Trump should be off that court. And if we can't make that happen, then the court should be expanded. It is absolutely unacceptable that we have these unqualified, unvetted uh, justices on the Supreme Court for a lifetime appointment. Um, it's a danger to our country and it needs to be rectified. And I don't um, I don't have a vote in how that's done, but it has to happen some way. So the, the good thing that I see that Biden did is, is making this thing. And I did want to point out, um, the Supreme court commission, there's a key part of the executive order. It's section a three, and it says an analysis of the principal arguments in the contemporary public debate for and against Supreme court reform, including an appraisal of the merits and legality of particular reform proposals. So this is due six months after the commission's first meeting. And so it isn't a token move to throw Democrats a bone. It isn't a coincidence that the timing of the report could fall around key decisions on cases like the Affordable Care Act. And so it looks like if SCOTUS guts the ACA, Biden's going to have the argument ready and a majority of the public demanding that there be a fix to the Supreme Court. Biden is proving to be quite a master at the long game. So. Yeah, well, I really think that's a good point, Sarah, because that's been my impression is that Joe Biden is thinks ahead. Uh, I think Donald Trump basically did whatever he, you know, thought uh, 
popped up during his 3 a.m. Twitter rant. Uh, but I think Joe Biden is playing the long game. I think he is, thinks ahead and is, uh, you know, trying to figure out where the piece is going to fall uh, a year from now and try to respond to that. Sarah, uh, thanks very much for joining us today. It's always a pleasure to have you on Deadline DC. Uh, our guest has been Sarah Jones, the editor-in-chief of uh, Politicus USA. Uh, if you want to tweet Sarah, you can reach her on Twitter at, uh, at uh, Sarah Politicus. Uh, so uh, thank you again, Sarah, and we look forward to having you back soon. Thank you so much. Welcome to Dead. Welcome to Deadline. Power off with a uh, clip of uh, the president, President Biden, uh, talking about his federal budget proposal, which he uh, announced last week. I sent to Congress my uh, my funding priorities for the appropriations process, including two key public health initiatives that I'm pushing. First is, uh, like DARPA in the Defense Department, which was designed to develop and has developed breakthroughs to protect us and enhance our physical safety, I'm proposing a $6.5 billion appropriation for what we call ARPA-H, which is focused on going to, focused on health issues. This is a pioneer breakthrough that we hope we, we can detect and treat, prevent, diseases like Alzheimer's and diabetes and give us a chance to end cancer as we know it, because we'll focus exclusively on those items. And uh, secondly, I'm proposing a historic funding increase of 50% of, of $4 billion in the opioid crisis, which still ravages the country and has taken so many lives over the last two years. Resources of both the states and the tribes for treatment as well as uh, prevention. It also includes the single largest funding increase ever for Title I schools, schools for disadvantaged schools, to lift up the millions of children in low-income families. And it'll put them in a position where all the data is, we've, I've talked a lot about this, the data shows that it puts a child from a household that is a lower-income household in a position if they start school, not daycare, but school at three and four years old, there's overwhelming evidence that they were able to compete all the way through high school and beyond. That was the president of the United States, Joe Biden. And this is Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. I'm Brad Bannon. Uh, this half hour of the show is brought to you by my company, Bannon Communications Research, which polls for uh, progressive issue groups, labor unions, and Democrats. So far is so good for Joe Biden. The new president has held his own in the early days of his presidency because he has got the big things right. A new national poll for National Public Radio demonstrates most adult Americans approve of Joe Biden's performance after two months. His overall approval rating dovetails nicely with the encouraging scores he receives from the public for dealing with the two biggest challenges facing the American people, the, failed pand the fatal pandemic and the failed economy. 
Joe Biden's big bet is that if he solves the two biggest problems afflicting the nation in the first two years of his presidency, voters will reward him with bigger Democratic majorities in the House and the Senate after next year's midterm elections. This scenario involves the 40, uh, requires the 46th president to move boldly to fight COVID-19 and revitalize the economy, even if he has to rely on a bare Senate majority of 51 to win the twin battles. You can read the rest of this column and all of my columns to the Hill at muckrack.com front slash Brad Dash Bannon. Now it's time for the provocative progressive political panel. Our guest on the panel today is Morgan Starr. She is the co-founder and co-executive director of Blue, Our Blue Future, the largest youth-led political action committee in America. At Blue Future, Morgan focuses on leadership development, managing the progress and change programs, and supporting organizers in, in professional development. Her Twitter handle is uh, underscore Morgan, S-T-H-A-H-R, underscore Morgan, M-O-R-G-A-N, S-T-A-H-R. Joining Morgan on the panel is political activist Mark Grimaldi. Mark has worked for several Democratic presidential candidates, including Joe Biden, he also works very hard at efforts to promote cancer research. His Twitter handle is Mark J. Grimaldi, G-R-I-M-A-L-D-I. Okay, let's get to the panel. Uh, Morgan, uh, your first timer on Deadline DC. Uh, I hope you're not a last timer. Uh, last timer. We hope to having the show again, but I do tend to scare people sometimes. So uh, I just hope you bear with me and hope you'll come back at some point um, after you've had appropriate therapy. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, let's uh, start with this. Uh, I have this theory about the Biden presidency, Morgan. Let me try it on. Uh, try it on you. Uh, I have a feeling that Joe Biden has already uh, got Congress to approve a $2 trillion package that is mostly for pandemic relief. Uh, he is now, uh, in fact, I believe there's a meeting in the White House today uh, with congressional Republicans and Democrats to talk about uh, his efforts to pass the uh, economic stimulus bill, which is uh, going to be anywhere from two to three trillion dollars, depending upon which estimate you see. Uh, my guess is that Joe Biden's big bet is that if he can get the economy going again and if he can stop the pandemic or slow it down significantly, uh, that's enough to create enough goodwill for himself and Democrats in Congress uh, that there'll be uh, voters will reward the new president with a bigger Democratic majority uh, in the House and the Senate so we can move on to other things like gun control. Uh, and uh, that would be a good example. Uh, immigration reform would be another. Now, the good news is I think that was in reach. I think he can get 
I think the country is moving in the right direction, which is what voters care about most. Uh, the pandemic is receding. The de COVID deaths are way down. Uh, and uh, if he can get the economy moving, uh, voters will reward him uh, next year so he can move on to other pressing items. The bad part of that is I don't think there's much hope uh, for Congress to move on the president's initiatives, uh, like to ban assault weapons, for example, um, or to do something about the broken immigration reform, uh, which is going to leave many people very unhappy. Uh, but I think Biden's making a bet that if he gets the economy and the pandemic done and very little else, because I don't think much else is possible with the Congress we have, uh, voters will reward him. Uh, do you buy my theory? Do you think it's a good strategy, Morgan? Yes. Yeah, I, I really do. That's a great, a great point, Brad. And I think that young people specifically are seeing what he is doing and and responding to it and wanting to stay involved and continue to get more involved, we know that just because we won the election and were successful with a lot of seats in Congress, the issues do not stop and the work does not stop. So we're continuing to do this work. But I have been very impressed with President Biden, uh, given his response to the pandemic, our economy, and just what we're doing with vaccinations. In this past month, I have seen so many young people become eligible for vaccines and be able to get their vaccinations and are now able to, re to return to somewhat of normalcy in their lives. And so I think that will be a huge factor for the American people when they're considering who they will go to vote for in 2022. But of course, we cannot completely bet on that. We have to do the work along with it. But yes, I would agree with you. Okay, uh, Mark, you want to weigh in on Biden's big bet? I think, you know, there is a lot of strategy involved, and I think he learned, President Biden learned from um, the issues that President Obama had when trying to negotiate with Republicans and ha act like, you know, they were negotiating in good faith when, in fact, the strategy all along, as Mitch McConnell, you know, said and was later released, was mm -hmm. to make him a one-term president, and that's all they had in mind. Now, I don't think that's any different than Mitch McConnell has in mind now about President Biden and his administration. And I think President Biden knows that. So he's trying to work with other Republicans in Congress on things like the infrastructure plan, which we're seeing today at the White, uh, at the White House, where he's discussing that with Democrats and Republicans. But I think those are the two areas because of the way, which we can talk about if you want, uh, the arcane way that the Senate is set up where the only type of um, work you can get done is through the budget reconciliation process for those, you know, many of our audience knows what that is, but for those who are not familiar, that's where, you know, largely budgetary issues like the economic stimulus that was passed can be passed with a simple majority um, and you don't have to beat the filibuster, meaning you only need 51 votes which would be the 50 Democrats in the Senate plus Vice President Kamala Harris um, casting the tie-breaking vote. Uh, and then you don't have to overcome the 60-vote um, filibuster-proof uh, majority that you need just to pass any sort of legislation. And because that's the fact, that really makes it that um, those are the only areas that you can get done. And to make matters more difficult, uh, there was recently, which seemed like good news for those of us who want to see progress and see the the president be able to um, do what he's 
campaigned on, um, there was news that the budget parliamentarian and the Senate gave in, uh, gave news that they would be able to pass Democrats three budget reconciliation bills. Um, however, Joe Manchin, as he's done so many times thus far in Biden's short presidency, uh, threw cold water on that as he's thrown cold water on filibuster reform. Um, and unfortunately, I think that also limits a lot of what President Biden can do, because in a lot of ways, it's it's not exactly like having uh, 50 Democrats. It's almost kind of like having 49 and then, you know, flip a coin which way Joe Manchin is going to go on any given day. So with those factors, the, the progress that he's been able to make, I think, is remarkable. And this this budget is an example of something, okay, he knows that, you know, this is just setting a blueprint, but it's important to know where uh, he is saying that he wants to focus resources, which is on healthcare, which is on education. So domestic spending that was absolutely slashed under President Trump and Americans were suffering even before the pandemic hit and were ripe for so many people to lose their healthcare um, through their jobs when they lost their jobs during the pandemic. And now President Biden comes in uh, through the economic stimulus bill, the American Rescue Plan. There are subsidies in the American Rescue Plan for the Obamacare marketplace and signups are increasing. And thank God that that was there because otherwise these people are going to lose their health care during a pandemic. And then they and most likely their whole family have no health care. So um, I think that's just a, another great example of a microcosm of what's going on right now. Yeah. Uh, we're going to break now, uh, so uh, we'll be back with more of Deadline DC and the provocative progressive political panel after these messages. And different things like that, and that's a top issue for young people. Welcome back. Uh, with more of Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. Uh, Weird in the middle of our provocative uh, progressive political panel. Uh, Our guests are Morgan Starr from Our Blue Future and progressive activist uh, Mark Grimaldi. Uh, Let's let's try this. Uh, Morgan, let me uh, ask you this question. Uh, I think uh, because of the fact that Joe Biden barely has a majority in the Senate, uh, which is dependent on uh, Senator Manchin of West Virginia, who doesn't agree uh, with some of the president's initiatives. Uh, We're going to have I think there are some things that got done. We've already done a big pandemic relief bill. Uh, We're working on economic uh, revitalization and reform now, and I think hopefully we'll get that in some form. Uh, Last week, the president announced um, some executive orders to control gun violence. He also announced pretty strongly, uh, pretty loudly, that he favored Uh, a ban on assault weapons and high capacity uh, ammunition uh, magazines. Uh, I think there's probably very little chance uh, we're going to get any significant gun control legislation um, because of the complexion of the Senate. Uh, 
Uh, it's something that young voters, uh, gun, uh, the, co- the efforts to combat gun violence is very popular with uh, young voters, uh, but I think they're going to be disappointed. Uh, is that going to carry that disappointment among young voters on initiatives like immigration reform and gun control? Is that going to uh, sour them on turning out? in 2022 or is it just going to motivate them more uh to help give joe biden a working majority where he can deal with some of these issues like gun control and immigration morgan absolutely great point i think it can it can sour voters uh especially young voters uh given that he can only go so far with the power that he has it's up to youth-led organizations like Blue Future and other organizations to educate our young voters on how our processes work and what we can still do despite the limits that are in place right now. And one of the things that we're working on is informing our young people what what they can do to call their senators to push them on this issue, to talk about personal stories, to talk about the drills they have to sit through in their schools, to talk about the violence that's happening in their communities, to push their senators and their members of Congress on the on this specific issue so that we can see change. Um, because I, I do believe it, it can happen. It will take a lot of a lot of pushing and a, and a lot of organization, but that's that's what we're ready to do and and want to do as young people. And I hope that with this, they will continue to get more motivated and more excited to turn out even more in 2022 to gain more of a majority in the Senate, as well as continue this in 2024, Um, because this is an issue that is definitely not going away and, and something that's always going to be top of mind for young people. Uh, Mark, uh, do you think, uh, uh, Democrat Joe Biden, uh, will accumulate enough goodwill uh, fixing the economy and healing the nation from the pandemic crisis uh, to generate a, uh, you know, I mean, one of the problems I think Joe Biden faces is that incumbent presidents don't do well and their party doesn't do well in midterm elections. A lot of the voters who turn out to vote for a winning presidential candidate don't term out midterm elections and the president's party loses seats in Congress rather than gaining them. Uh, What do you think, Joe, let's say Joe Biden uh, fixes the economy and mitigates the pandemic. Uh, Do you think that's enough to uh, overcome the uh, jinx that the president's party uh, suffers from in midterm elections? If he can uh, stop or like you said, um, very heavily slow down the pandemic and jumpstart the economy. I absolutely think that the majority will expand in the Senate for Democrats, partially also because of two other factors I would bring up, which is the map. So you have uh, states like Wisconsin that President Biden won, where you have a Senator Ron Johnson who may or may not run for re-election and has gone full Trumpian with some real just bizarre conspiracy theories that he's been spouting. Um, so I think that's a seat that's up for play, um, or up for grabs, excuse me. And another battleground state that the president didn't win, but in Ohio that I think is winnable. Um, that's just two examples that I think, you know, that could that could swing things where Joe Manchin. Pennsylvania is another one. Yeah, 
Pennsylvania. Thank you. That's right. Um, Pennsylvania as well. Um, you know, a state that President Biden won and he's from, um, as he's famously, you know, brought up before. I think those two issues, you know, if, as an example to young people, um, you know, who let's not forget young people and people of color are the reason this country was saved from, God forbid, uh, Donald Trump and his insurrectionists having a second term and doing God knows what if he was still in power right now. Um, turned out increased in uh, participation percentage in the election uh, and turned out to give President Biden, the majority with the two Senate seats in Georgia that were won. So just to talk about overcoming the odds, Brad, you know, I, I do think it would be enough to expand the majority. And I also remember, Brad, after the election, you and I and, and some of the guests talking on the show as if it was a foregone conclusion that the Senate would be in Republican control because it was almost unfathomable to think that both seats were going to be won by Democrats. Yeah. And as Morgan has pointed out, they rewarded Democrats for campaigning on the issues like the American jobs plan and also against gridlock and a Mitch McConnell run Senate that he said on issues that that many Democrats and just young people in general care about, like gun control, that my desk is going to be a graveyard for legislation. So they turned out and said, no, thank you. We've seen that before and we're not interested in it. So I do think if he is able to follow through on those two promises, which as you've brought up, Brad, are the two things that people ranked highest in the past election as importance to them, um, then I do think that will be enough to expand the majority. And then I think, to Morgan's point, you can see what, if, if it's not able to be done in this um, two, first two years, that's where you could see it, it done. And maybe it is a path of something like a mansion to me gun bill that was brought up after Newtown, which would be a welcome sight compared to what we have right now. Yeah, uh, you know, one of the challenges, you know, the country certainly needs an economic fix. And that's why I think the Biden budget is uh, the increases in domestic spending, especially uh, spending for education and health care is so important. That's why I think this uh, infrastructure package is so important. Uh, the senator from West Virginia threw sort of a kink into the uh, uh, president's hopes for uh, an infrastructure package this week when he, uh, first of all, he announced that he basically wouldn't vote to end the filibuster on any circumstances, uh, which means it's not going to get done because you'll need 50 votes to do that. And I don't see any Republican senator uh, voting to kill the filibuster. And if Senator Minchin isn't, that's that kills that idea pretty much. He also said, which I think is even more concerning to the White House, that he's not crazy about using the reconciliation uh, feature uh, in the Senate rules to uh, uh, pass uh, these big budgetary bills, such as the Biden economic plan. Uh, Morgan, uh, any thoughts on for President Biden and how to uh overcome the Joe Manchin obstacle to his plans? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. I think Joe I'm Manchin sure the will, Biden people are wondering about this question right now. Yes, they they probably are. I mean, I think Joe Joe Manchin will continue to be uh, be a challenge for this administration and for for our country, frankly. Yeah. And I think we'll we'll hopefully see President Biden working a little bit 
more closely with the senators and starting to talk with them, you know, more one-on-one and having these conversations. Exactly. Which I know is something on the White House uh, today with Senate Republicans and Democrats on the infrastructure program. Yeah, and I think that's a great start and we need to continue doing that um, and continue showing Senator Manchin how this will make an impact in his state, specifically in regards to infrastructure or, you know, these specific jobs that it's going to make in his state and show the value that it will bring to his constituents and, you know, really not give him a reason to vote against this in any in any way, um, as well as pressure from other senators as well. So I think it's going to continue to be a challenge. And I wish there was a special way to uh, change his mind. Morgan, but I, I, I have to interrupt you because we're running out of time. Uh, thank you to our guest, uh, Morgan Starr from Our Blue Future and Mark Grimaldi. Uh, and also to Sarah Jones, who joined us in the first half hour. We'll be back with more of Deadline DC next Monday at three o'clock Eastern or anytime uh, on the podcast. It's a new day to celebrate and be free. A new day full of action and excitement. Come to Soaring Eagle. Indulge to your heart's content. It's a day for winning, for world-class fun and food. Yes, it's a grand, spectacular day to get away. Only at Soaring Eagle Casino and Resort. It's a new day. Visit SoaringEagleCasino.com. You've been on the road for hours, covered 527 miles, listened to three podcasts, had two calls with your mom and one with your sister, and you're really hungry. And look at that. There's a McDonald's one mile up ahead meal. There's a meal for every moment at McDonald's. Cruise up to McDonald's and get your favorite items on the one, two, three dollar menu, like a McChicken, McDouble, or four piece McNuggets. Price and participation may vary, cannot be combined with combo meal.